Shalom and welcome again to Secrets of Meaning, the podcast arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. I'm your host, Rabbi Richard Adras. Thank you for joining us today. We really do appreciate your time and your interest in these podcasts. If you have a suggestion uh, about uh, about the show, the podcast, an idea, feel free to email me at rabbiadras at jewishsacredaging.com. And don't forget to check out the website, jewishsacredaging.com and the Facebook page so you can contact and be part of us no matter where you are. Um, we are, as you know, living in some very, very challenging and difficult times. And uh, we are very pleased and honored to have with us on today's edition of the Secrets of Meaning TV show and podcast, Sarah McCaslin, who is the executive director of the Psychotherapy and Spirituality Institute in New York City. Uh, Sarah, welcome. I appreciate your time. I'm just was looking for, I'm really looking forward to having this conversation. Full disclosure, we, we met each other on Zoom. Um, as, working one in, as, as one does yeah. in these days, in this day and age, yeah. uh, on some projects out of the Yeshiva University's Wurzweiler School of Social Work. And, um, in just listening to uh, Sarah and her contributions to the program, I was just fascinated to say, this is an amazing institute. I'd like to pursue it on the podcast. And she has been gracious enough to say, okay. Um, and here we are. <laughs> so, so first of all, Sarah, thank you very much for joining us. I really do appreciate this. Um, let the, the, before we get to the spirituality thing, let, let, just for definition purposes, the Psychotherapy and Spirituality Institute of New York City. What is that? What is it? Well, we are a nonprofit with a mission to provide spiritually informed psychotherapy to individuals, couples, and families. Um, to provide training for mental health clinicians, clergy, chaplains, interested lay people on how to incorporate um, spiritually informed care into practices, clinical practices primarily. Um, and then our the third leg of our mission is to provide consulting services to individual clinicians, group practices, uh, nonprofits, and spiritual communities. We were founded in 1975 um, under a different name and became a 501c3 in the early 90s. And... Uh, took the PSI name at that point. Um, we began primarily as a pastoral counseling center, um, which was kind of all the rage in the 70s, right? Pastoral care was pastoral counseling um, meant to help clergy provide for the mental health care, mental health needs of their congregations, right? And assistance. Uh, now my staff uh, includes um few people who are trained as pastoral counselors, but we all um, share different licenses as social workers, mental health clinicians, um, marriage and family therapists, and creative arts therapists. So um, if somebody wanted to contact you, just right, let's get this right up front. Yeah. The website is what? PSINYC.org. PSINYC.org. Yeah. Cool. Thank you very much. Um, you're a trained psychotherapist, an ordained minister. Talk to me about how you view the concept of spirituality since it's, it's part of the title. Sure. 
you know, one of the things I'm going to take a tangent. I'm going to come back to that. <laughs> That's a, um, we rabbis are used to tangents. Yeah, we we live in the land. Of, we live in the land of tangents. Right, right. right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, when we were starting our staff meetings this year, we run staff meetings from September till June. Um, I gathered uh, the clinicians around this common question, right? Like, what is spirituality? And I asked everyone to come to the meeting with their definition. So as you can imagine. There were 21 people on the screen and there were 21 different definitions of spirituality, right? And then I have a younger clinician who decided to run the question to a chat GPT. Then so chat GPT offered a definition. It was very similar to some of the ones. Then this clinician gave chat GPT the definitions that we had come up with. And so then ChatGPT provided a second definition that had incorporated language and imagery from all of our definitions and came up with another comprehensive one. And I meant to bring it today and I can mail it to you. It's fascinating. And then once we had all of these, right, this recognition that as an institute of clinicians, every single one of us has a different definition of spirituality. So then the second question became does it matter? Do we need to be working from um, a singular definition of spirituality? If so, how do we achieve that? And if not, then how do we, how do we speak to one another from these different definitions, right? And this is important to us because if we're going to be doing the spiritually informed work with our clients, um, what is a common language? And, and so I, I landed, and I think we landed as a staff with this understanding that there is not going to be a singular definition of spirituality. And that, that, that the semantics just don't, do not allow for it, right? That what spirituality is inclusive of, right, which is our um, embrace of that which is transcendent and unknowable, um, that which is mystery, that which is awe. Um, that which we encounter in um, religious institutions, uh, in nature, uh, in music, in the this thing, the engagement into relationship, um, that we can hold sort of a container, but a limitless container to pour in these different definitions and images for spirituality. So one thing we can say is what spirituality is not, right? Spirituality is not religion, right? It may encompass religion, but it is expansive beyond religion. Spirituality is not um, uh, doctrinal. Spirituality is uh, experiential. Um, Spirituality is unique, creative, abundant, generative, Right. Um, spirituality often um, is holding hands with uh, the concept of meaning making. Right. Um, what are the symbols and the rituals that we lean into as we create meaning in our lives? So we might call that spirituality as well. And so, um, we're, yeah, go ahead. 
No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, so we're left in this conundrum, right? So, so as no. a director of a, of a director of the institute, I'm left with a conundrum. Well, how are you going to articulate it, right? And so, and so, we're still trying to figure out exactly how to do that. Except that I sit and I say we as staff sit comfortably with the conclusion that there is not going to be um, one singular definition of spirituality because we don't want to be contained like that in the same way we don't want to contain our clients and the work that we're doing with them, if that makes sense. No, it makes sense. And and it is all very like spirituality is like politics, very local. It's very personal. And uh, it's uh, one of the challenges and, and joys in many ways, because it is personal and you learn anyway. Yeah. You don't need well, to I'll add one more thing. And um, yeah. I get Strom Thurmond, uh, confused with the other guy who said about uh, pornography. Um, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're not going to put that on the website. We'll move off. Well, let, let's move off of that real fast. So uh, <laughs> the juxtaposition of psychotherapy and spirituality, however, um, Many people who are trained, and I remember even in the beginning of my seminary training, this was, well, this is, this is one silo, and here's another silo. And then as, you know, you go through as, you know, in the real world, not the academic, but the real world of human beings, you come to understand how linked they are. And um, there's, there's this wonderful book by Rabbi Joshua Loth Liebman of Blessed Memory that came out in 1946 called Peace of Mind, where he calls um, the fact that in the modern world, this is right after World War II, that there needs to be this union between psychotherapy and religion. And, and, and he writes in this book, Religion must not hesitate to use the microscope of psychology with its depth analysis of the human mind. So talk to me about how this institute brings together these two disciplines, sure. which are both part of every human being. Right. Right. Well, I think the first thing that we do is we... Um, we choose to disbelieve the notion that it is, it is a juxtaposition, right? And um, what we receive in our training uh, traditionally, right, is the biopsychosocial. And what we know now is the biopsychosocial spiritual. And what I've appreciated in being in this uh, space over the past 10 years or so, particularly is the way in which science is catching up. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Lisa Miller. Uh, she wrote Spiritual Child, and her most recent book is The Awakened Brain. And she, she says, listen, we all know, right, that spirituality is important to mental health and is a, an essential part of it. But we haven't been able to prove it. She said, so my job as a social scientist is to prove it. And so she's done this remarkable, remarkable work uh, to, to study the ways that uh, we are biologically, right, inherently spiritual. And she's using fMRIs and other studies to, to really show this, right? And she's like, so here it is, right? Here's the data to prove the thing that we've already known. So what PSI has known for a long time and many others have also known for a long time. Now, 
uh, I think is going to be introduced into this larger discipline of psychology, psychotherapy uh, with this new information, right? And so for us as healers, right, um, as mental health clinicians, as healers, we're looking for wholeness and wholeness involves the whole person is what you were saying already. And that includes access to this spirituality, which, as I mentioned before, for people who don't identify as spiritual or religious, for whom that language is unfamiliar, um, strange, uh, maybe even cringy, right? We can use the language of meaning making to say, to help them access this part of themselves, right? That's going to be crucial um, for that healing that they're doing, if that makes sense. No, no, you know, we're, we're, I'm part of a tradition, the Jewish medical tradition, which is um, holistic. I mean, if you go back to Maimonides, in the, even in the 12th century, he understood, he was a practicing physician, but he understood there was this inherent linkage between the mind, the body, and the spirit. And, and his writings are unbelievable about even the role of the physician to to examine a person's psychological makeup before they deal with the physical complaint that brings them into the office. 12th century is unbelievably brilliant. Right. You, uh, that the, the research that you alluded to, there's a gentleman uh, across the river here outside of, I'm outside of Philadelphia. He's a Jefferson, Andrew, Andrew Newberg, who's done pioneering research in, you know, there's a genetic precondition to spirituality oh you 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 have this belief that it's written about you the in quote the inherent spirituality of all people to be a resource for achieving healing and wholeness yeah you then believe that inside every one of us is some sort of spiritual spark gene something and that that's part of the psychological makeup, correct? Right. I, I believe that, right? And I, and I appreciate the work of Lisa Miller and how she describes it. I think that one of the things I would add as a disclaimer, I think this is also important, right, is that when we talk about, and I say it, just quoted me saying it, that spirituality um, is can be a source for healing and wholeness, but people's experiences with spirituality and religion in particular can also be very traumatic. And so when we talk about that, that integration of spirituality and mental health, we also need to be mindful of, so on the one hand, yes, I believe that we all are inherently spiritual beings, meaning that there is a part of us that is always in relationship to that which we cannot see or know, right? Mystery, awe, transcendence, divine, however we choose to, to describe it, right? At the same time, our lived experience inside religious communities inside spiritual communities just in the world, right. As we know, um, can be, and we know this now more than ever, can, there can be deep, deep trauma that's attached to it. One of the things that we see often, um, in our practice are people who were raised in, um, conservative religious traditions, um, only to come and, to their adolescent development, identifying differently um, with gender or sexual orientation and finding that the religious community that they loved did not love them back. 
And so that can be a real rupture, not only between the person and their community, but between a person and their own uh, spiritual self, right? Because it's it, the, the, there's been that, that kind of break between what I knew and thought was true is now I'm being told is not. And so the healing work is to um, work through that trauma and re-engage with that spirituality, which has been there all along, right? Um, which has not abandoned the person. So in the in the in the institute, Sarah, yeah. do you do a combination? I think you alluded to this, one on one and group, or is it how how do you you know handle that? We're not doing group work yet, and it's something that I really hope that we can do soon, right? To invite uh, a group of folks who have experienced uh, trauma in their religious communities to come in to be in relationship with one another right now. It's one-on-one work. So it's no secret. We are, I mean, we're, we're recording this in the end of October and this is posting in the beginning of November, just a couple of weeks later. It's no secret. We're in the middle of just an unbelievable time in our life. Yeah. I mean, between the still unresolved, and I think, trauma of 9-11, which I don't think we really ever dealt with, the um, COVID, the war, you know, the political upheaval in the Middle East, the political upheaval in Washington, the economy. Um, this is a very, very challenging really challenging time this feeling i'm just just from our experience and of of alienation of being cut off of being alone what are you seeing how how what are you seeing if if you can just unpack some of this in your work at the institute and 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 how on a generalization because you can't go into individual specific cases you know how how are we how are we beginning to deal with this, or are we really not as a society really dealing with this? I think we're not as a society dealing with it, but I would agree with you that we are in a spiritual crisis um, collectively and also individually. And you're right. Um, having a conversation this morning with a client, there is, and I'm going to use this word again, sense of rupture between. Um, the world that we once thought was safe and we know it's not, and we know it is It's sort of the dialectic there, um, but has been sort of displayed to us uh, in new and violent and terrible ways and um, can, can sever us from that sense of meaning um, that kind of confidence or security or grounding in that, which is bigger. And for many people in the future, which has yet to be revealed, right. Which is not for, for all people. Um, and so what do you do when there's been that, that, that severing, right? And if you add to the, the political and religious complexities around it, that may be very specific to an individual and their, their own identity. Um, and, and I, I really appreciate you mentioning the connection to both COVID and 9-11 and other geopolitical um, uh, realities that we are in a lot of ways fragile, right? And so because I believe in the inherent spirituality of all people as a source for healing and wholeness, 
when you see that there are so many people who um, have trouble accessing that, right? You end up with this, this, this dislocation, um, this sort of dissociation um, to be kind of at sea without that source of grounding that is what we need in order to survive what we're experiencing right now, right? And, um, and I imagine you can speak more to this than I can, but I think how, how relevant is um, Viktor Frankl's work at this time, right? Which is when the very worst is happening, what does it mean to find your groundedness and rootedness? Um, and that which cannot be compelled or destroyed or or severed. Right. It's you know Frankl's underlying theme of hope and from emerging from the camps, but along the lines of 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 this absolutely bizarre moment in history that we're living through. Um, as a director uh, of the Institute, I, I would imagine you have a, a chance to overview and see a, a lot of trends or, or the, mental, the mental health crisis that we're living in. Talk to me a little bit about what you're seeing in your, institutionally at the Institute and your own personal thing about the division in the society between um, social economic uh, class distinctions and access to mental health yeah. and cultural variances um, of even the approach to talking about mental health. What do you see? Right. Well, let me start, let me start with the, the first part of the question when you're talking kind of culturally of the moment around mental health and spirituality. And I guess maybe I'm going to, take off my director hat for a moment and set it down and, and put on um, my, my pastor's hat. Okay. Um, one of the things that I'm seeing in the mainline um, Protestant denominations, which is where I am rooted is, and you know, this too, just the reduction in membership, right? People are turning away from religious membership and religious communities all over the place, right? It's, it's generational. It's continuing. Um, I know that churches are struggling to keep their doors open and their bills paid. And so there is, I think, in that regard, this kind of, I mean, that's a religious crisis to a certain extent, which is, you know, can the church keep up in the, with the changing times? I would say, does it? I don't know. I mean, that's an open question. But what is replacing that role, right? So what did it mean at a time when... Uh, there was um, more people, more money, more connection, right? So for me as a pastor, part of what's so important to me about being in those religious communities is the relational um, dynamic, right? To be in relationship with people that you don't have to be, right? So I think about my children, for instance. Where in their lives are they in relationship to someone who is not either a parent or a teacher, Right. So either their own parents, their friends, parents or teacher, people who have to be in relationship with them. Right. And the gift of community, in, in my case, it's been religious community, 
is to have access to relationships with people that they would not otherwise. Adults who don't have to be in relationship with them, but want to know them and get to know them better, right? On their own and not just because of who they are, right? Um, I think that's I think that's equally true for young adults, which is I think one of the places I see I mean, many, many, many of my clients are young adults who are trying to find that how they fit into the world, right? And what again, I'm using this word a lot. How are they grounded and rooted? And you know, I imagine how difficult that is in New York City in particular, right? And so I mourn. Uh, for them, when I'm, you know, put my clinical hat back on, um, more in that disconnection and that place where you can go to, to find comfort, to find solace, to find friendship, to find challenge, um, to struggle with these things that we're talking about, you and I, right? Um, and so... I think what part of what I've, I've asked the questions in my own head, which is, has therapy become the new church for some people, right? That coming into this space, not, and not in any kind of, and not me wearing my pastor's hat at all, um, but a way of working out some of these existential questions, right? So part of me is wondering, well, does the mental health community really need to get their act together around addressing these spiritual and existential issues because the people who are coming in may not have what previous generations had. Does that make sense? Like connections that can, yeah. that can help wrestle with those, um, which to your point about, do you have groups? I mean, it's maybe there need to be more groups, right. To create cohorts of people who can wrestle with these questions together outside of a religious institution. If that's a place where they have um, experienced uh, Trauma. And the trauma, I mean, I keep reading more and more and more about the impact of trauma now um, uh, on on so many different levels, even the trauma of being a teenager and being, you know, addicted to to this um, and what that causes. But again, that, that second part of the question about the cultural. Yeah. You know, the the. My experiences in some of the other organizations that, I, that I'm involved with, too, on, on dealing with aging and end of a lot of end of life stuff, it keeps coming up. There are different cultures who just do not perceive what my group or that their approach. They, they see it is totally not it's just not part of their cultural makeup. What are you seeing, especially in New York City? I mean, it, it, are you seeing some of that? How do you deal with that? Well, I mean, one of the challenges for me as an institute, right, is how can we, if our mission is the provision of spiritually informed care to the community, right, how are we going to do that? So so the, the, here's the boring behind the scenes, you know, how are we raising funds so that we can provide care for people who are traditionally unable to, who are unable to af- afford it for whatever reason, right? right? And so, and then on the other hand too, how do we outreach this modality of care um, 
to people who may have found traditional psychotherapy to be uh, not culturally aligned, in which case spiritually informed care might be much more culturally aligned, right? So how, so that's, I mean, that's the challenge that I'm sitting with right now is because on the one hand, we have access to the kind of bubble of people who are already in the know, uh, people who have um, benefits and insurance and um, money to pay for care. But the mission is so much bigger, right? And the need is so much greater. I'm thinking about the communities of immigrants who are coming into New York City who are, you know, experiencing this dislocation, this separation, uh, the absolute unknown of what the future will hold for them. There is a mental health and a spiritual crisis right there. And how are we serving those needs? And we're not in a way that we feel uh, good about yet, right? So that's definitely... There. And when you think about allocation of resources, right? So um, are, you know, cities, states, and governments funding, allocating resources for mental health care? Because to your point, the physical and the mental are, are very well connected. And the lack of um, a strong central nervous system um, and someone who is very anxious and very depressed is going to have an even more difficult time engaging in the system that is meant to help them, hopefully, right? Uh, so, so that I carry that um, uh, with a with a heaviness that we haven't figured out how how to do that yet. No, it's it's it, the that's why I wanted to talk to you because it, it it's so overwhelming just to even think about yeah. what people are carrying around in their souls, yeah. uh, this sense of fear, a sense of brokenness, yes. sense of alienation, yes. And um, before we end, just for clarification, do you also do uh, work with younger people, teenagers, um, families, or is it just individuals? I think that's important to get that out there. Yeah, so it depends on the clinicians. Um, I, I, for myself, uh, work with families and couples as well as individuals, and I'm seeing adolescents. I think your point is is taken. Um, wow, our teenagers. Um, coming out of COVID, I think for myself, I would say I came out of COVID and feel like I've recovered. I've kind of gone back into the life I had and, and feel quite well. Um, and then I'm, I'm seeing teenagers who, I guess on the surface look okay, but the, the level of anxiety that's there and then the anxiety that transfers to the parents who are caring for these teenagers. So we do have clinicians who work with families and adolescents in particular. Yeah. Sarah McCaslin, who is the executive director of the Psychotherapy and Spirituality Institute in New York. Thank you very, very much. This is, um, it's overwhelming. I mean, I, I, I stand in awe before the fact that you are the executive director of this. And how big is your staff? Uh, well, we're growing. So I have to say okay. we've grown so much just in the past couple of years. And so we're a staff of 20 Um which is great. We are open uh, to growing even larger than that. And I'll say, I haven't put a sign out saying we're hiring, but people keep calling and saying, you know, I spoke with a psychologist this morning who said, I just saw something you wrote online and I've been missing this connection. They feel to your point siloed. Can you tell me more? And so that's very, very exciting. So real fast again, if someone is sitting out there and saying, this is something I would really like to 
be part of yeah. or I need some help. Yes. Um, the website is? PSINYC.org. Now, as a reminder, and uh, as always, if you are in crisis, um, please go to the emergency room. Um, otherwise, for those who are interested in beginning therapy, people wanting to get to know us more, uh, PSINYC.org, and there's an easy way for you to connect. Yeah. And then another technical question. Yes. Um, I'm sitting in Michigan. I think I could. No, no, no. (laughs) It's just (laughs) my my bad. Okay, I I am in South Jersey. Somebody sitting in Michigan hears this, sees this. I really would like to connect for 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 a therapeutic. Do you do teletherapy? And is there licensing issues that I can't treat you because you're in Michigan or New Jersey? Let's get that out there too, because somebody may. Richard, thank you so, so much for that. That is correct, that we um, are only able to treat people um, whose feet are on the ground in the state where we are licensed. And so for my staff, that is New York, um, one in New Jersey, one in Pennsylvania. Ah, so that's good. That's very, that's that's why I wanted to get that out there, because I know there are some differences in in, in, in all that, it's good to but know. There are way, are there ways any- to get involved with what we're doing. Um, and we run trainings for clinicians, but other things we're doing, a breathwork and meditation course that is open to anybody. We'll be doing mindfulness-based courses over the years. So there are other ways to get involved. Are there, To your knowledge, are there any similar institutes like yours in other cities around the United States? The ones that I know of are more about um, education and training, um, not uh, the direct clinical work. I know Blanton Peel, but that's also here in in New York City. But my guess is that's going to start changing. And I think that there are clinicians all over the place that are beginning to incorporate spirituality into their practices. Sarah, thank you very, very much. I really do appreciate and and just good luck. And um, I hope to run into you at, at on someplace. Yes, this so is thank my you. pleasure. What a short conversation, Richard. I wanted to ask you questions next. Can we, oh, what? <laughs> we can set that up some other time, but I appreciate it very much. Take care of yourself. Stay healthy, okay? That's the yeah. most important thing right now. Thank you. You take care. And to all of you, thank you very, very much for joining us on today's edition of Seekers of Meaning, the podcast and TV arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. Uh, Again, if you'd like to become a sponsor of of these podcasts, uh, either individually or in a series of podcasts, just email me, rabbiaddress at jewishsacredaging.com. If you'd like to make a tax-free donation to help support our work, go to the website, jewishsacredaging.com, and click on the conveniently located Donate button. Uh, Seekers of Meaning is produced at the Broadcast Center of Lubeckin Media Companies in beautiful Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and a shout-out to our genius producer, Steve Lubeckin. And thank you for your time. I am your host, Rabbi Richard Address. And until we see each other again on the next Seekers of Meeting, please take care of yourself, stay healthy, and most of all, be kind to one another. Shalom.